gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 127 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host, Dan. And I am recording from a undisclosed location, your co-host, Brendan. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome back, buddy. That's Thank so you. cool. Yeah, great to have you back. I want to say real quickly, I really appreciate from a lot of the listeners the positive feedback that Dave got for his stand-in. That's really great for him, and uh, I know we really appreciate him stepping up like that, so just wanted to make a quick mention of that. What are we talking about today? We are going to, uh, a little belatedly, be talking about our Midwest meltdown that we went to a month before we started recording. Yes. Yeah. You know, return of... One of our favorite events. Yes. And it was good to see a lot of people that really only come out for this kind of thing. Sure. It was really, really nice to be back there and great weekend. We'll talk about it, obviously. Anything else we're going to be talking about? Some big hobby news, Dan. Really? I, I don't know who that's from because I didn't put that in the notes. Oh. And I guess if big <laughs> hobby news is I am back to putting models together, then. <laughs> okay. And listeners, that is not clickbait. That is a real thing. So you just got to listen for whispers and see what's going all on. The way, all the way to the end. <laughs> yeah. All right. With that, let us move into whispers from the warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan, man, what are you hobbying? I've been pretty transient the last month or so. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a lot of building models, a lot of building models Okay. Uh, to pass the time as I you know, wait to go to, you know, from one thing to the next. I've built a start collecting, or they're not called start collecting anymore, a Vanguard corn box. Oh, yeah. I built a bunch of Ogroid Theradons. I built a oh. Demon Prince. I built an Alariel. I built some Stormcast Annihilators. You built Alariel? Yeah, I built Alariel. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah, so I built those Annihilators. Right now I'm building some Slaves of Darkness, just Chaos Warriors. You're all over the place, man. Holy yeah, God. there's really nothing that I'm super duper crazy into. And before deciding on anything for Worlds, I think it's just smart to just wait for the battles and, and I'll go from mm. there. So you're like, there's probably sure. something I should keep an eye on but i don't know how many games i am or i'm not going to be able to play between here and there so sure you know, understood not, not too worried about it okay what about you dan well the big hobby news is for me and what i was never going to do i did is restart 40k <laughs> well like, i i, I, I heard the last do. episode you guys <laughs> broke the rules you talked about 40k on the show <laughs> no I sold my Nighthawk army. I was shocked when you sent me that picture. <laughs> I just thought about it a lot. It wasn't something that just like, hey, let's get rid of this and do something else. But there was a lot of thought in it, a lot of considerations. You know, what am I going to do next? And Because the two army rule has still applied, not changed. And I am really enjoying playing my Sylvaneth, especially after Meltdown. I'm really excited to play them at Dragonfall. 
So it was just time to move into something else and took a bazillion models. I, like the people when they were unpacking, they're like, how many chain wraps do you have? <laughs> it was like a hundred plus, right? So that era is over. I did save some models. I saved Bodie McBoatster. I saved a Dreadblade Hero, which was the very first Nighthaunt model I ever painted. Actually, so I saved that. Of course, my flying coach, my cool conversion that I did, I could not get rid of that. And of course, Nagash is going to stay on the shelf. But other well, yeah, than- he's just versatile. Yeah. So there, yeah, it's it's done. Moving on, I'm probably, again, a lot of consideration into next army, but I really think I would like to build a Blades of Corn army. I've made some selective purchases on Etsy. I got a really cool Whip Thurster. I think he looks cool anyway. And some really interesting skull cannons. Got a couple of those. I got a couple of units of corn dogs. And then, and I built and primed all that. And then I have three boxes of blood letters that I've built so far. Uh, but I've got a bazillion other models. I have a skull taker. So I've got like five demon heroes right now that have been built and primed. I've got that Vanguard box you talked about with Blades of Corn with all the mortal stuff. Well, yeah, all the mortals, yep. I've got the other mortal box. So I've got lots of models of mortals that I can work on. And again, you know, the commitment to play Sylvaneth through the year and probably in early into next year is still there. That's still going to be around and gives me lots and lots of time with absolutely zero pressure to get a corn army built and painted. So I should enjoy that. Yeah, so I know you went into your Sylvaneth with a very specific, you know, kind of goal and build in mind. Is there anything that you're thinking in particular for trotting out the corn army? I really like the Whip Thurster model that I got, and I'll probably post now, you know, once we post this episode, I'll probably post a picture of it. It's been primed at least. I think a couple of mobs of blood letters would be really fun. I think the Herald on the Blood Throne would be a really cool model. I'm going to do a conversion there as well. I've got an idea with a couple of corn dogs and a weird throne kind of model that I bought. So those are the starting points. The one other thing I didn't mention is that I have picked up the Shutterhood. So those are the things I think will kind of pop to the top. So there's not like a particular list or build you're going for. Like when you started Sylvaneth, like you were like, I'm playing Oakenbrow and this is, <laughs> and come hell or high water, it's Durthu and whatever else I'm allowed to take. Yeah, which is very different when we talk about Meltdown than that was. It's Yeah, I mean, it'll just depend on, you know, what I think will work and what I enjoy playing too, as always for me. So yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So that's the big hobby news. And that's hobby for us. Pre-orders. We have the 40K Serastis Night Lancer, of course, in plastic, which is, of course, out of stock. That thing is $200. It's insane. It's been a minute since I've seen a kit and looked at the price tag and gone, ooh. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right? I had a resin one of those that I had bought years ago to play in 40K at these big game things I used to go to. And it was a lot cheaper than that. Of course, that was a while ago, but still, yeah, that price tag was pretty scary. And then we have Seraphon Stegadon Chief, which you said kind of ambushed you. You weren't expecting that. Yeah, not a new model, just a rebox, it seems. Yeah, and it is, of course, out of stock as well. Drops, we have the Warcry Crypt of Blood. 
which is a new box with two war bands that come with yeah. it. And then we have the three 40K 10th Ed starter boxes, you know, small, medium, and large kind of thing. And the Barb Gaunts are there, the Terminator Library, and that's all out on the street now. So that's all the stuff that's kind of come down. Games played? Other than Sigmar, anything you've had uh, not, not much other, time for, but... Yeah, other than Sigmar, I'm just using, you know, as a kind of to pass the time, you know, firing up a NCAA 14. <laughs> it's that time of year. Sure. You know, college football is just around the corner. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. Most wonderful time of the year. Yeah. So, you know, getting back into the spirit by getting the old Xbox connected and fired up. And the other easy thing to, to kill a little bit of time with is the Magic the Gathering Arena. So just oh, yeah. on my phone, you know. 20 minutes, get a game done kind of thing. So that's really easy to just take a break, play cool. a game or two, and boom, you're done. Like, all right, refreshed, back to work. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, for me, just StarCraft, some, you know, like kind of like with your phone or whatever, I just get a few minutes like, okay, I'm going to run through one of the scenarios, just one of that that I really like, one of my favorites, and then just do something else. I haven't really had a lot of time that I've wanted to play games because I've also taken up guitar and I'm trying to learn Spanish guitar. So, so I usually practice twice a day and it's probably about a half an hour of practice time that takes up time and interest from gaming on the computer, for example. But I also have made a pre-purchase of Starfield. Okay. I'm really excited for that and looking forward. First week in September comes out. I think that may take some time. <laughs> That's going to be like Skyrim was for us all when it first came out. When it still is out now. Yeah, right, which is amazing. Yeah, so that's other than Sigmar for me. I have not played any Sigmar games, I don't think, since Meltdown. I have played one. Okay. I was invited over to Vince Venturella's house. Oh, sure. You know, local to me now at my new undisclosed location. Yes, of course. <laughs> He invited me over for, you know, kind of their club night. They just do a doubles game. Mm-hmm. So the pairing ended up being me and Vince versus two okay. of his longtime hobby buddies. Okay. And that was just randomly determined by dice. So Vince with his Mega Gargants, me with my uh, Bone Reapers, uh, 1,500 points a player oh, versus nice. uh, kind of a mixed corn list and uh, battle cattle, Lumineth Reblors, mm-hmm. Mountain Cows, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stone Mages, that kind of thing. We did that, and it was a really fun game. It had some swings back and forth, and okay. you know, everybody got to do something. It was a real fun time. So Cool. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I'm glad you got to dive into that local community there. That's wonderful. Events. NashCon will be starting probably by the time we post this, this coming weekend. Yep. And then Siege World, same weekend. Uh, Nova Open is the end of the month. I think it's always around Labor Day. And always Labor Day weekend. Yep. Means I always can't go. Yeah. <laughs> Football or... No, it's just football. No oars. Yep. And then Dragonfall, Vault Wars, RockCon, Holy Havoc. That stuff's all coming October, November. Now, are you going to be able to go to any of these things? Or do you going to... Have you been able to... Kind of now that you've moved and settled in? I have been promised that I get to go to at least one of the events in October. It's not been figured out which one, but Hmm. between Dragonfall... And Vault Wars, and then also uh, Michigan GT is in there somewhere. Oh, okay. Uh, I think it's the same weekend as Dragonfall. That wouldn't be too, too far for me to go to. All right, yeah. But, you know, I just like to go to one before before Worlds, you know, to knock some rust off. When are Worlds, Brendan? November 18th, I think. Okay. 
Yeah, that would make sense. The 11th, 18th, yeah, the week of the 18th, 19th, yep. Okay, Coolio. That's it then, man, for yeah. Whispers. And it's time to go down memory lane, back to Meltdown. <laughs> All right, man, we'll take a quick break, and we will come back with Emperor Lies. Man, what are we, a team? No, 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 we're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. All righty. We are back, and we're going to talk about Midwest Meltdown 2023, an event that you've gone to for quite a bit longer than I have, but certainly I've been involved in for a few years now and have loved every minute that I've been there. You finally got me to go, and I'm so happy that you did. So tell us a little bit about what Meltdown is for those who don't know about the event. Midwest Meltdown is a tournament hosted by our friend Domus Mm. in the central Illinois area. He originally started putting it on as a birthday celebration to himself. <laughs> he does always host it around his birthday, you know, just as time allows, right? You're not going to have a tournament on a Tuesday. It's, a, in my mind, a pretty standard Midwest event in that, you know, obviously there's a lot of soft scores to it. You know, yeah. sportsmanship counts for a lot, paint counts for a lot. You know, there is a, some brand of uniqueness. So in recent years, the thing that Domus has done is he's given you a free something or another. Yeah. When we first went to Gur with third edition, we all got a free monster. Uh, it was just a generic war scroll because uh, obviously you could. <laughs> yeah, that could get way out of control. Yes. Yeah, that, that could really be something. You got a generic war scroll. You know, it played in a couple of games. That was neat. This year, you got a free Underworlds Warband included with your army that you uh, actually used for all five games. Yes, which was very cool. Were, that was so neat. Yeah. You were allowed to pull from any army that was in the same grand alliance as you. So if your army happened to have kind of a wimpy, lame Underworlds Warband, as some of these books do, you you could look across to, you know, your fellow Order Grand Alliances, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're playing Sylvaneth, and uh, grab a Warband that's maybe a, a little bit better, all for free, which is pretty cool. The only restrictions is they couldn't be placed in battalions, and if they had the appropriate keywords for your army, they got all of the appropriate effects. So, mm-hmm. obviously, there's a bonus for staying within your book. You know, some armies, Bone Reapers, have a really good warband that you would, yes. depending on the situation, even consider taking it. Mm-hmm. So, getting it for free... was <laughs> a pretty big deal. Yeah. Pretty good. Unfortunately, they FAQ'd Mirkaidam, like, right before the rules cut off. So I uh, couldn't game the system, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, he's still good. He's just, you know, even better with a 9-inch, you-can't-do-anything spell. Sure. So that's the event, and it is two days, five games. Uh, it was hosted, as you said, by Domus, also yep. by Kevin and Tom. And Tom's wife was there. She kind of ran a little general store for us with snacks and drinks and stuff. And that was really nice. It was really helpful since there wasn't anything super close. Like some of the stores or places we play, you know, there's there's a place right there that you can grab things. So we really appreciate them putting that on. That was really cool. And then it was kind of like in a very large room that extended. <laughs> it looked like they just, it would look like it was empty except that we were there, you know? <laughs> yeah, it looked like an abandoned, like, uh, <laughs> Kyle called it like a GNC. I was really? like, oh, this is a business that was half of an idea 
<laughs> at one point, and and the owner just walked away from you know getting it set up. But fortunately, uh, he was willing to rent it, and it was also cool because the guy who was hosting, the local guy, Zeke, had a ho- his hobby shop like two doors down from it, which yeah. was really nice. That was very very helpful, and. That was where the bathroom was. That was a funny thing. We all got there, and the first thing they said was, by the way, we can't use the bathrooms because they're not unlocked. And we're like, okay, where do we go? Oh so it was either to yeah. the Kroger's grocery store or to <laughs> Zeke's place. <laughs> it was kind of crazy, but it worked out fine. We all survived. Yeah, absolutely. So as we usually do when we do these things, why don't you start us off with your game one and tell us about your list, obviously, but then start us with your game one. Yeah, so... My list, I only was going to have the space to keep one of my armies with me as I was doing all of this uh, transient activity. I knew from the outset I was going to take my Bone Reapers with me. As many longtime listeners will know, it's my favorite book. I love the models. Catacross is my favorite character. No brainer. Before we left, you and I had a practice game in the new edition. (laughs) I had played Arcan because I was assuming that I was going to be able to use and abuse Mirkainan's War Scroll spell with the uh, combination of Arcan to make a unit unable to fight nine inches away. Mm-hmm. And they had to fight Mirkainan, and if Mirkainan wasn't there, then oops, you know, guess you don't get to fight. They had FAQ'd Mirkainan just before that, so new list that I had not practiced before. <laughs> I got zero games of, but, you know, make do with what you got. But you're Brendan. Uh, There's yeah. no concern there. Sure. <laughs> so I ended up taking a uh, crematorians list with Catacros, Bone Shaper, who is my general, gave him the artisan's key, gave him the command traits where if you're within 12 inches, you're minus three to charge. So uh, everyone's favorite <laughs> command traits. Yeah, sure, of course. And I gave him Horfrost. I brought with me uh, Vakmortian, which might be the first time that a Vakmortian has seen a competitive <laughs> tournament table ever yep but you know that's what that is obviously i took a uh, mere kainan as my underworld's war band mm-hmm. then from there i took a list that i would say most competitive players would call very 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 standard i went ahead and had two units of cavalos death riders mm-hmm. i had two units of necropolis stalkers i had a unit of six and more discard i put them all with a battle regiment i was 1980 the choices there, to me, were pretty straightforward. You know, if you listen to the handbook review, tell you that Geminids are very good. Mm-hmm. Geminids are very problematic for OCR Bone Reapers. That's just the way of things. So I know a lot of people looking at the edition were going to flip over to Nalmiriad. Yeah, if you're expecting a lot of offensive casting kind of abilities, that's a really good pick. I was not. The Midwest has historically been very close combat oriented. Mm. A lot of Nurgle armies, a lot of corn armies, a lot of iron jaws, yeah. that, that oh, kind yeah. of thing. I was prepared for a punch em up, and I think I was rewarded pretty well with that decision making. So I was a three drop right because you can't put your Kainan in that. So that was as low as the Bone Reaper armies can get. Mm-hmm. Armies can get as low as a two drop depending on what. You know, what warband you took, or if you chose to not take a warband at all. My first game was against Chris Robinson. He was playing Nighthaunt. We're in Geomantic Pulse. Mm-hmm. He had not just Nighthaunt, but Nagash Haunt. <laughs> oh, uh, God. <laughs> it was a kind of unusual list. 
at least from the outset. So he had Nagash, he had Lady O, which is a huge points investment. Just Oh, God, yes. Right out of the gates. He had two units of Hex Wraiths, you know, a unit of, I want to say it was six Spirit Hosts. He had a big unit of Grimgast Reapers and what are two more small units or something. And then he had the uh, the new Headsman's Curse or whatever they're called, Warbands. Okay, the, yeah, yeah. The one hero who's got a sword that does two mortal wounds on fives and sixes, so, you know, pretty good. I felt pretty good about this matchup. You know, I obviously haven't played with or against the Gash in a hot minute. I was very interested to see, you know, what we were going to be able to do with it. It's just what it is, right? The overall strategy that I employed, though, and this is a very similar deployment that I took all throughout the tournament, which is... Put Catacross in the middle, put the Immortus Guard in front, put Vok Morshin and Bone Shaper kind of near that. Mir Kainan somewhere in there, and then go Symmetry from there. Okay. You know, the Necropolis Stalkers, stitch them out, you know, just exit, and have the ponies further out. Obviously, in Geomatic Pulse, you don't want to commit too early to one side or the other, because yes. if you pick the wrong side and it turns the other way, you're, that's kind of the game of it, for yeah. you. <laughs> sure. I did manage to give him the first turn, Okay. and, you know, which perfectly fine with me you know he's not really going to be able to do anything right. you know he just kind of moved up and then sent my ponies up the battlefield and they charged into the gash and they fought him and they <laughs> exploded on him and they did some damage and they did like seven damage or something like that that's and a lot still there. yeah Perfect. that's a lot he's tied up right you know he can't move up he can't do anything i wanted to keep him occupied for as long mm. as possible and then make sure that he's not able to get off the spell where you teleport your caster. Yep. Right? That's really the only thing that I was focused on with my primal dice was, hey, you're going to be stuck right here fighting these five ponies until I tell you that you're done fighting these five ponies. <laughs> right. And that worked flawlessly because you have so much stuff committed there. I had my Necropolis Stalkers, you know, back to my right, that he ended up dropping Lady O near and the Spirit Host near, and mm. committing to that, which felt like kind of a weird matchup of points because over to my left is where the Pulse ended up starting. Oh. So I moved my Immortus Guard up to basically intercept the Pulse at the second yes. bump, and then sending my Stalkers and Ponies up to try and catch it, you know, even earlier and, and just jump those points. Yep. So he ended up maintaining the turn into two, which was fine. He missed basically like all of his long charges, Oof. you know, and obviously Bone Reapers of an army as have retreat and charge, which, you know, that's uh, just mine cost a command point where obviously Nighthawk don't. Mm. I was able to pick him off kind of piece by piece, which, you know, is exactly what Nighthawk don't want to happen to them. No. In the bottom of two, I had Nagash off the board. The ponies oh, had ended up doing like a zillion damage. Bottom and then, of two? Jeez. Yeah, it was rough. I got my Stalkers into them, got my Immortus Guard into them. It was just a bloodbath. Start of three, you know, we went to go roll the dice and he conceded. He saw no win condition. You know, we talked about our tactics and grand strats and, you know, what final points mm-hmm. would be. You know, from there, we both agreed that the result was uh, no longer possible. So. Okay. That was my game one. Coolio. I played my Sylvaneth, of course, and my list started out with, as always, Durthu the Man. He's there. My Warsong, of course. 
a branch witch, which had hoarfrost, which was cool. The one thing I did with the war song, and you'll find out why because of the unit I took, is I took the Vesperal Gem and Virtuous Harmony, which lets, allows me to bring a model back automatically with the gem. So you yep. can't stop it, which is real, was really, really useful throughout the tournament. And then I took a new unit I've never taken before, which is Lady of Vines, and she was just a champ. That five-up ward that she gives off, and I took Gnarl Root, so I got my, you know, three dice once a turn. I had uh, Dwindling, so I got re-rolls. And between all those, those two things and the Primal Dice, she got her five-up ward off almost every single turn in the tournament, which was amazing. Man. Um, it was really, really invaluable. Even against the Zinch Army, I was getting it off, which was like, whoa. <laughs> Except we'll talk about that anyway. Yeah. And I took an Archrev and he was a champ too. Man, putting him with, let me talk about them. I took six Kurnoth Hunters with swords. That point change, man, Brendan, that was the best thing I could have ever done. Giving myself a second hammer like that. And between bringing a model back every one of my hero phases and basically they were auto plus one to wound because of the arch rev because he just stayed around them and it was just incredible they were threes and twos once in a while and i didn't do uh all at attack to get the you know two up to hit instead i would take that extra attack because that's the command that he has so yep. i was getting 30 attacks off you know, I mean, I got a bunch of attacks. It's just boom, boom, boom. It was just incredible. That was the bulk of my points. And then I took 10 dryads and two units of five tree revs. And that was Tyler's recommendation to take that second unit of tree revs. And it really paid off in a couple of games really nicely. I took Spite Swarm Hive. I took Suffocating Grave Tide, which I did not use properly. I'm just going to say, <laughs> which, and Fair I enough. should have. Uh, but yeah, so that was very, very cool. That was my list. And I had Warlord, I had Vanguard on the Kurnos so they could get a free reroll on a charge. I believe that was your recommendation. My first game was against our good friend Tanya, and it was a grudge match for us. We had grudged at uh, Vault Wars a while ago, and so we wanted to get a chance to play again. She's a great player. She brought the soul-sucking elves, otherwise known as Aideneth Deepkin. Yeah. And her sub-faction was Nautilus. I believe that's a turtle as a battle line. Oh, my grand strategy was to keep my war song alive. By the way, that's very important in each game. Hers was Slaughter of Sorcery, which was interesting, which meant she had to kill all of my wizards, basically. She had a Soul Render. She had an Achillean King. She had a Tidecaster. She had Lotan. She brought a turtle. She brought a unit of six punchy eels, which I was really afraid of like i saw those going oh god eels again and then she had a unit of 10 thralls and really interestingly she brought a bunch of allied troops she brought 10 shadow warriors with those silly crossbows that they have and they could just pop in anywhere which was kind of interesting and then she had i think it was a unit of 20 eternal guard that she had on the board yeah and she had gnashing jaws Oh, and she had a you know, five Shadow Warriors, I think, the uh, Warband. We started off turn one, and I kind of, after our game and conversations we have had, understood where I needed to put the bulk of my army, which was kind of in the middle, so I didn't overcommit to one side or the other. Pulse came out on my right side, which worked out okay, because Durthu and my Kurnoths were close enough that they could 
jump on the second move, you know, once it moved to the next spot. And that worked out really nicely. She went first. In the first turn, she got to charge her turtle and her, all six of her eels. Ooh. Her turtle hit my Kronoths and her eels hit Durthu. And I was like, okay, I probably should just pull Durthu, right? And then she got her Achillean King around the next turn. So he, I had all three of those things on Durthu and my Kronoths. Well, Durthu got his ground shaker off, so he got to go first. Brendan, it was the moment of the entire weekend. He rolled, he swept in one giant sweep of his Gladius, all six of those eels off the board. It's like, oh, that was so beautiful, man. Oh my gosh. If it had been me on the other side, it would have been like, okay, that was really depressing. It just happened. That happened, which made a huge difference, obviously. And even though she hit my Kronos, she only killed like two of them, which was very largely because of that five-up ward that I had from Lady of Vines. And which is why Durthu survived the way he did it, because the Achillean King was able to hit him as well. So uh, that was that part of the game. I dropped my two tree revs into a corner. And one of the best battle tactics was the new one where if you get three units, you know, to different sides of the board within six yeah. inches, man, they worked out so beautifully for doing that. It was so great. It was almost automatic every game for me to have that. But I dropped one of them in and she dropped those crossbow guys and just like, boom, shot off all my revenants almost out of that one unit. The other thing was, is she was moving up her other units. Those eternal guard were kind of out of position in terms of being able to get over to me. And I'm not sure what she intended to do with them because they were kind of on her other flank. You know, maybe it was anticipating when the pulse would get to that point and then she could grab it with that huge unit that had that amazing, you know, ward save I think they get. Once that happened with the eels, the war song came over to help Durthu and he killed the king. And then the Kurnos just beat the hell out of that turtle. I mean, they were just... The they just pounding on it. Oh my gosh, the amount of dice that I was rolling was just obscene. It really was. So with those three units gone, the game was essentially over. Although, I gotta say, we lasted almost all five turns, I think. It wasn't close points-wise, but it kept going back and forth just because of the way she had units positioning. Again, she's a really good player. Uh, but I did win, and I got all five of my battle tactics. I got my grand strategy, which was very, very cool. So that was a good first game. I was really, really happy with that and really, really pleased with the way the Kurnoths worked out. They did Yoma's work for sure. All right, that's game one. Game two for you. All right. Game two, I was playing against Sean Clark from Detroit, mm -hmm. a darn near mirror match. He was also playing Bone Reapers, and the only differences were he was playing Null Myriad, right, for the spell bump. He had swapped out Vok Martian for a Soul Mason, and instead of uh, a Bone Shaper, he had an Asa Factor with the Gothazar Cartouche. Okay. Uh, plus one to wound rolls, which is pretty good. This was the mission where you're normally allowed to set up in combat with each other. <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> it was so funny. This one and the other one where, like, nobody said anything for a while. And Domus was like, yep, just play the scenario. And all of a sudden, uh, excuse me, everybody. It's like, yep. Oh, gosh. It was funny because you ran over and you're like, hey, you can set up in combat or whatever it was, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and then I scurried away. Uh, and then, like, as soon as I got back to the table, you know, the announcement gets made that, no, you got uh, nine inches from enemy territory. <laughs> it's fine, whatever. Some subtle differences, that puts him at 2,000 points even. I get my triumph. He doesn't have everything battle regimented, so I outdrop him. And I felt very, very good about the matchup, just because I feel that Petrifex and Crematorians beat the Null Myriad in the mirror match. Okay. For Bone Reapers. And then, to top that off, Sean made, I believe, a pretty meaningful mistake in his deployments. He had put Catacross in a place where I could tag him at three inches, meaning that he would not be able to get his aura up once his turn got over. So I took the turn. I said, hey, I think you made a mistake, and I'm going to capitalize on this. Mm. We'll see. So I deployed very similarly. To my right of this was both my units of stalkers. To my left was both my units of horses. I got my stalkers up. I landed a charge. I got within three inches of Catacross, meaning that he wasn't going to be plus one save, plus one to hit, and I was going to be. Right, yes. So I'm one-sixth more efficient in two of the three main aspects of what it takes to play this game. And Catacross, when he's not damaged and not near a hero, you know, meaning he's fighting on whatever his actual profile is, is about damage-wise as effective as 10 more tech guard, which is not very. I was not too worried I allocated all my attacks into his horses and his stalkers and those kinds of things on the side. I was allocating as much damage as I could into his stalkers with my ponies, and I was setting up my Immortus Guard with the buffs so that when we got into combat, that I was going to be just Ripping. killing out the nines, right? Okay. You know, we're going to be ready to go, you know, so, you know, just putting my Immortus on the center objective and going, okay, we're going to be. Fives and sixes exploding, you know, trying to get drained vitality off on the Nomiriad, which, right, you know, he's going to get the two up against that, but, you know, just trying, but sending them as the center point and saying, you have to beat me right here, mm. and I'm going to be better than you at it right now. Mm-hmm. Go in, I tag Catacross, and ultimately that's where the game ends, right? Because from there, he never gets free of my necropolis stalkers like he ends up killing the one unit that's over there but the second unit that i have is the second wave goes in Mm -hmm. by the end of two i have basically all of his ponies are dead all but one necropolis stalker is alive i believe i've wiped out his unit of immortus guard so before we roll priority for three he concedes oh my gosh brendan we talk about battle tactics and that kind of thing and mm-hmm. score the game out and turn in our paperwork so goodness gracious yeah i would have thought a game between two obr would have lasted longer you know it would have but he made that mistake of yeah allowing catacross to yeah at which you know if you're playing catacross don't let him be within three inches of something unless you know that by the time it comes around to his hero phase again that you're going to be out of that a lot of my games are going to be real short <laughs> My games, by contrast, almost all lasted five turns, so four or five turns. Well, I'm glad someone got to play a tournament. Yoo-hoo. So my second game was against Patrick and his Bone Splitters, and it was freaking frightening for me. He had 50 freaking pigs on the board. So many pigs. Oh my gosh, man. He just kept putting more and more down. He had two War Docs. He had a Wargog Prophet. He had a Maniac Weird Knob, and then he had four units of five, 
and three units of 10 pigs. For the most part, they were exploding on sixes when they hit. They were doing mortals on sixes when they wound. And I just looked at that going, what the heck am I gonna do? It was just the board was covered with green. And it was just so scary at first. Then I was kind of sitting there, I positioned myself so that I could take the charge because I had to do that. You know, I just had to do it. But I got, once again, Lady of Vines was up. I had was able to either get Mystic Shield or all out defense on the Kurnos and on Durthu. So essentially they were both rolling two ups. They were two up, five ups. So when he hit, even with those mortal wounds that were coming off, even with those exploding sixes to hit, I was able to take the charge on both sides. And I think he took me down to three. I'm gonna say it was three or four of my Kurnos, but I think it was three. Durthu took a punch, but really he only took like a couple of wounds. It was insane how resilient he was with that ward up and with the regular save. And I also threw my two tree rev units way in the back of his army because he had, of course, thrown everything forward, you know. And I was threatening stuff with those two units of tree revs. Other than grabbing my tactics, I also was like picking off a hero or two of his with them. Yeah. And he was like, well, that's really annoying. So he turns one unit of 10 around and just throws it towards my tree revs. And I'm like, great. That's awesome, man. Just what, just what I needed you to do, right? Eventually, again, with that virtuous blessing, I was bringing back Kurnoff, you know, every turn. And even though he was taking on less and less of them because he had less and less pigs, the Kurnoffs were essentially wiping out almost an entire unit of 10 pigs in just one swipe. You know, and Durthu, he took out like a whole unit of five pigs. Like, boom, they're just gone. And before I knew it, there was like almost nothing in front of me by turn four. And I'm going, this worked out okay. This is good. I, <laughs> I can do this. I can deal with this. And I ended up actually moving my war song over. And my war song took out his prophet, which was hilarious. <laughs> it was great. Ended up winning the game. Ended up getting my tactic. Ended up getting my grand strat. And... That game made me feel so good, so confident, because at first I was just, you can imagine how intimidated I was. Yeah, I seen a, all those it's a lot of bodies. And I didn't have anything to deal with that. But we had a good time too. There was a lot of laughs and a lot of just having fun while we were beating the crap out of each other. And it was a good game. And again, a real big confidence builder for me going into the next three games. And it was funny, we were sitting outside, I think, and you're like, well, Dan, you only have to win one out of the next three to go three and two. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, Brendan. Well, more, more about that, that later. later. <laughs> so going on to game three, what were we playing in game three? So game three is the mission where you have that much smaller deployment area and that the terrain out to the side, or the, the three objectives along the middle, two out to the side, that's spring the trap. It's a mission where you can put up to D3 units in reserve. It was clarified that you can only put your units in reserve. <laughs> yes, that was another one of those. Yeah, it was funny. So I was playing against Jake LeCure, also out of Detroit. He was playing with Slaves of Darkness Cabalus, which is the sub-faction, where if you're not a wizard, you become a wizard. If you are a wizard, you get to cast an additional spell, mm -hmm. uh, which... Then on top of that, you know, if you do draw on power, everybody kind of in that bubble gets mm. drawn power. He had a Chaos Lord on Manticore. He had a couple of Sorcerer Lords. He had Theodra Skull Strier, an Exalted Chaos Lord, who was really there to only complete his grand strategy, which <laughs> is to turn into a Demon Prince. Two 
reinforced units of the Snake Warband, which do a zillion mortal wounds. Splintered Fang, yep. Yep. A unit of ten chosen and a unit of six Varengard Knights. Oh, God. Fist fight in a phone booth, not what Slaves of Darkness want to see, exactly what OCR Bone Reapers want to see. Uh, I formed my standard castle of Immortus Guard in the middle, mm. my heroes behind, mm-hmm. and then flex out from there. Oh, and then he also had... Uh, the Crows. Yeah, the Crow Boys. Yeah. So he sent out to my left, basically his Underworld's Warband. He sent his knights out to my right, kind of screened them, moved up the 20 Splintered Fang in the middle with some Chaos Warriors behind them as a screened. So I sent my horses out left to go take that objective. His Chaos Lord on Manticore was pinning me on my right side, so I was going to try and fight my way out of that. But I was going to go take the middle objective as well. Mm-hmm. Took that from him, got my Necropolis Stalkers in on that 20 Splintered Fang, and you know was in the process of taking an absolute licking. <laughs> he wins priority in, into two. He swings the Chosen out towards my... Death Riders on the left mm. swings in his Varengard on the right to try and deal with my Necropolis Stalkers and my ponies that are on my right. Does a fair bit of damage. His Splintered Fang end up taking out basically my Necropolis Stalkers in a one-for-one one exchange okay. sort of situation. I still hold the middle. Then we come around. We do a little bit more punching. Mm. I move my Immortus Guard into basically what is going to be into position. From there, things get real, real bad because the Immortus Guard take out all but one Varengard who's left on one wound. Oh! The Chaos Lord on Manticore is dead. The Chosen are out of position. The Splintered Fang are out of position. And then I win the priority into three. And Jake mm-hmm. concedes from there. We talk about... Wow, that was a swing. Holy mutt. It, well, yeah, because at that point, all he has left is a unit of Chosen that are out of position. Mm-hmm. 20 Splintered Fang that are going to get absolutely mulched as the Immortus Guards swing around. I'm going to be able to score one, two more tactic for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. That's it. We talk about, you know, what battle tactics we can do, grand strategy. So I've got, at the end of day one, three full point major victories. Awesome. That is great. Feel. Feeling pretty good about that, given that that was the first three games with that army list and my third, fourth, and fifth game with that book. That's so great. So I played uh, Kyle from Detroit as well and his OBR. Pretty similar to your list, really. It was the Catacros. He had the unit of Immortus Guard. He had the Stalkers. He had Murder Ponies and Heroes, you know, that kind of thing. I played one side of the board well and the rest of the board I played like crap because I did not use my Hunters the way they should have been used. It was me not being aggressive enough on the flanks, which I should have done, because if I could have cut off his arms, I could have had a much better chance of winning the game in terms of points and objectives. And I had what I needed to, to cut off those arms. If I positioned Durthu better, I could have killed those five ponies on my left side. If I had gotten my hunter's my Kurnos on that other side, I could have killed those five ponies. And I probably could have killed the Stalkers. You know, Durthu could have killed the five ponies and the Stalkers. So I could have had that taken out if I'd done that right, but I kept my Kurnos in the middle. So I really hamstrung myself by doing that. And then obviously ponies do what ponies do. And he came in really hard 
on my right side with his ponies and just punched and punched and got through. Durthu, I don't know what it was. He did well. He just wasn't rolling well. That's part of it, but. He was also doing an excellent job of positioning his units and keeping me from being as mobile as I could. So it just really well played game on his part. The other thing that I did was, I think it was turn three, I uh, charged his Immortus Guard with my Hunters. You know, and I'm thinking, well, games one and two, man, they just did so much work. They Wrong just, units to have that expectation for. They just bounced off of them like a brick wall, right? And what I didn't do, this was my mistake in this game, I should have, because I still had the chance to do it, I should have just faded them back. You've gotten them out of there. I could have taken them, put them somewhere else, and I still could have stayed a lot closer in that game. Because Durthu was starting to do a lot of work on my left side uh, now, but the right side had collapsed, but I could have got my hunters over there and stopped that. He would have had a really tough time because of where his... Immortus Guard and his Catacross where they were still deployed pretty far back. So it would have taken them a couple turns, you know, to move into position. So he won the game pretty handily. I looked at it and after bouncing off that brick wall, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is a lack of experience too. And afterwards, he had a really good talk with me and we talked about, you know, how do you handle an OBR army? And we were saying, well, one of the best ways to do it is what I just talked about was cutting off those arms and knowing that that middle is slow and it's going to be slow. So it was very instructive. He was a great opponent, really enjoyed that, but I did lose the game. However, I did get my grand strategy and I got three of my five tactics, which was very helpful in the end when we talk about the results. So so that was my day one. It was two and one. Yep. All good. We wrapped up day one. We had dinner with friends. That was really nice. There's about 10, 12 people at the table. That's always fun hanging out like that and just relaxing and having a good time. Always. With folks, you know, it's, it's one of the highlights of any of these kind of weekends. And uh, that was very, very cool. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Let's move on to our second day. You have your game four? Yep. I am game four, top table. I am playing Raymond with his Nurgle. He's got Blessed Sons, which really doesn't do too much. It you know, occasionally hands out a couple more disease points, but, you know, mm -hmm. points are points. He's got the Glotkin of all things. <laughs> oh. That was that was super exciting to see because like it's an interesting tech piece who has continued to have his points decrease over and over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. We really wanted to see what he was going to do with that particular unit. It was really great to see that model on the table too because you really haven't seen them that much, and yeah. it was just so fun. I'm like, oh my god, I haven't seen one of those for like years. What scenario were we playing again? So we're playing every step is forward. So this is the mission okay. where if you charge, you count as an additional model. If you yes. retreat, you count as none. Okay. It's a stair-step scenario, which is good for armies that are fast. I am not, neither is he, so okay. <laughs> He's got a Lord of Blights that's there with the shutting off commands, which I wasn't super thrilled to see. Uh, Rotbringer Sorcerer, he had Pestula the, and the Flyblown. The Nurgle Warband. Yes. Which is basically, you know, two Blight Kings and another Sorcerer. Two units of Plague Bearers, two units of reinforced Warcry Warband, who are really, really, really good and really annoying. <laughs> two Plague Claw Catapults, 
oh, Geminids in two battle regiments. So okay, I outdropped him, and this is a game certainly where his level of practice, because he plays a lot of TTS and does a lot of online tournaments versus mine, really shone through. Because ultimately, I ended up costing myself the game with the very first battle tactic I took. So I took one out of the OBR book. I misunderstood the distances of where my stuff was and how far I had to go. Mm. I could have gone with a different tactic early and gotten that battle tactic, which, you know, as we talk about, will prove to be pretty instrumental. But I let him go first because there's nothing that he can do. His army's movement four. Yeah, yeah. You know, so he moves up, takes a bunch of objectives. I move up, you know, take a bunch of objectives. Got a unit of three nerdlings. That's important, but it, it's not. Okay. And really what happens from there is our lines collide. You know, I wish I had managed to get my Immortus Guard in sooner. But, you know, one of the really cool tech pieces about the Glotkin is he can charge in your movement phase. And so what he would do is he would pin my Immortus Guard at like 2.9999 mm. inches and then have a model nearer that model than my Immortus Guard pile out of combat with oh. the Immortus Guard. Wow. And I'd be stuck. I didn't charge. I can't do anything. It was really well done in terms of you know being able to, to execute on that. So I'm playing from behind. Like I'm not getting through these units as fast as I'd like. Mir Kainan is you know just being a tank on my left flank. Mm. You know, holding that objective, pushing up the field, but it's just an absolute slog in the middle of the board, and no one's going where they want to go. I misposition Vak Morshin late where the mm. Glotkin is able to get into it oh. and dump wounds into Vakmortian, which ends up killing a bunch of the Immortus Guard. Mm-hmm. But I've got a small trick you know, where I'm going to try and take out his general who shuts off my ability to receive commands. If I can do that, my Immortus Guard can fight twice and then knock out the Glotkin. But he saves his general with like an incredible set of five-up ward rolling. <laughs> okay. you know, from there, he kills off my Immortus, he kills off Akmortian. You know, I have to hail Mary Catacross late to tie it up on battle tactics, which I managed to do. We end up tied on victory points in the game. Four oh. tactics to four tactics. He got his strategy. I did not. So if, if I had picked a better strategy, because it's a strategy I didn't end up getting, or a battle tactic I didn't end up getting, or didn't even end up using later in the game, mm. if I had used that first, which is the surround and destroy Okay. I would have been able to have pulled that off if I had realized the situation I was in and understood how to set up for it early. Which, you know, for the next time I play that mission, I would, especially with as many fast units as I have, you know, go for that early. But I held him to a minor victory on his side and a minor loss on mine. I took away almost as many points as, as you can really take in a minor loss. There's one more point to be had in a minor loss in the form of a battle tactic, but again, that would have given me two points and push me over for the major but you know that's okay feeling pretty good bone reapers are real real solid he was super well practiced i made a decision that lost me that game ultimately so mm-hmm. you know, that's why you uh, practice yeah. some armies but sure yeah, yeah i didn't have the ability or the time to so a more practiced player you know the, got the best of me in that game okay fair i played your previous opponent in game four jake lacour from detroit so we know his army was slaves of darkness and one thing I didn't talk about, I, I talked about Lady of Vines, you know, five-up ward aura, which mm. she also, on a two-up, can bring a unit of ten dryads in. 
anywhere on the board outside of nine inches. First three games, that was really invaluable in more ways than not. But just having that flexibility to bring them in at the end of my movement phase. I had deployed in a way that I had my Kurnos kind of covering my right side and the Dryads were out there and I was gonna put Durthu on the left side because he had that Manticore uh, Lord and he had a unit of 20 uh, Splintered Fang over there and he had another Chaos Lord on that one side. And I'm like, Durthu can handle that. If I go after it, he can do the work. And again, I used my tree revs to grab corners, to grab tactics, and that worked out really, really well with them. I got, As it usually does. Yeah, I got four of my tactics, got my grand strategy. But in terms of the game, I had put my two units of ten dryads forward in order to screen that right-hand side from his Varengard and his Chosen, because he had them almost literally right next to each other with some splintered fangs in there. I moved Durthu over to the left side, I took his Manticore Lord down to like four wounds or something right away. Just boom. He was almost dead. He started moving some splintered fangs over in that direction. And then he was moving his Varengard in a really, really wide sweep around yep. to the right side. And his Chosen were coming in. So I had my Dryad's position beautifully to screen my Kurnos. And they were under Lady of Vine's aura. So that was set up really well. Well... He hit my Dryads and both units survived, which was really, really cool. With that minus one to hit and wound, you know, plus they had her aura, so they had a five up ward. And so they survived that initial punch. But my mistake, and this the mistake of the game was I did not retreat them. And Ugh. you know, how long did it take me with my night haunt to learn that sometimes you need to retreat to win the game. You know, retreat to grab an objective, whatever it was. And I just totally have forgotten that. So not pulling them back, because if I had, it would have perfectly positioned those Kurnos to hit that unit of 10 chosen. And if they had hit that unit of 10 chosen, oh man, they would have just smoked that thing. Even with Nurgle, with all those mortals that they had and all the attacks, they really would have done a number on them. The other thing that was the problem was by not retreating them, I didn't have that one dryad unit far enough over so his Varengarb could basically pull around and grab their edge, which meant they could also then jump on that second attack that they got, you know, second combat that they got. They could jump yeah. on my Kurnoths. Two units of dryads, Kurnoths, all gone. Ugh. It was like, oh, geez. And I was doing so well on the other side. I killed the Manticore Lord. Durthu had just swept an entire unit of 20 snakes off the board. And it was like, oh, gosh, this side of the board, there's nothing here. And this, again, is having not played for a while. You know, I get to that point where I'm like, ah, oh, the freaking game is over. Jake's like, no, it's not over. Let's keep playing. Let's keep playing. And I did squeeze out a few more points in terms of tactics and, you know, those kind of things, but I did lose the game. I mean, he killed my Lady of Vines. She was gone next. So really all I really, I had on the board was my two units of Tree Revs and Durthu and the Warsong. And he had his unit of Varengod completely intact. Almost all his Chosen were attacked. So uh, that was pretty much over. But again, I got a bunch of my tactics and my Grand Strat. So in terms of pulling points forward, that wasn't bad. And again, I learned. So games three and four were instructive, <laughs> if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, craziness. On to the last game of the weekend. Yeah. So who did you play? What are we playing? Yeah, so the last game I played against Brad Schwant, also from Detroit. <laughs> yeah. I got 
the full gamut of Detroit playing. And we were playing the mission Power Flux, which is the four objective mission where two sets turn on at a time. Yes. Yep. And which is very cool. I love that. Yep. And so the player going second determines, you know, which of the objectives are on and which of the objectives are off. And if you control objectives with loci, Al Bundy's, as they are referred to on the show. <laughs> yes. You know, then you get a point for that. You get an extra point if you destroy a wizard during the battle round. Mm-hmm. So there's points of plenty, you know, just in kind of different ways. Brad's playing Night Haunt. He's playing an Emerald Host list oh. that has a, a Spirit Torment, a Guardian of Souls, mm. and a Cruciator, right? Okay. Right? Big block supported by six Spirit Hosts, a unit of 30 Grimgast Reapers. Oh, Wow. Two units of Hex Wraiths. Gosh, I think he had a unit of Blade Geist and then a couple of units of Chain Wraiths, and then he had the Briar Queen. As oh, yeah, said. sure, that's fun. He's got a lot of bodies. He's a lot faster than I am. So as long as I can keep the objectives on A, you know, good to go. So we deployed. I let him go first so that I could keep it on. I was going to be able to control you know, the double turn. If he was going to mm. give me the turn, I was going to make him pay for it if he wanted the objectives. Sure. You know, first turn, he moved up, grabbed some objectives, mm-hmm. dropped some stuff at the corners. Fine. I move up. Because, right, it's going to be a standoff. As long as it's on A, you know, try to set up that one killing blow with the Cruciator out there. You know, it's kind of bad news. A lot of my stuff is mm. that does damage is damage, too, right? You know, I have a lot of rend, and I have a lot of damage, too. So mm-hmm. my ponies are the ones that are going to have to kind of win me the day, which ultimately I think they did. <laughs> so we... Swing him in, do some damage, right? Keep my tight fighting core together. You know, roll for priority. I win it. I give him the turn. Keep him on A. Mm-hmm. So I throw some Necropolis Stalkers in. You know, he's charging some stuff in. Doing a little bit of trading, but I'm just kind of hanging in there. Roll for priority for three. He's going to take the top of the turn. He overcharges with... Oh, he had Rykonor in the list as well. That's the hero I was missing. Oh, sure. Rykonor overcommits, ends up tagging into my Immortus Guard. Oh. It gives them basically a free combat to beat up him, beat up some Blade Geist. And oh. at the end of his top of three, he offers to concede because I've done a pretty crippling amount of damage to the Grimgast Reapers. The Blade Geist were down to like one or two models. Oh, you know I had destroyed... A unit of Grimgas on the edge. There's one Hex Wraith left. The Briar Queen and her bunch are there, and he's got you know two units of uh, Chain Wraiths out on the side. Yeah. But he knows that I'm going to turn in with six Immortus Guard double fighting, and that's going to be those Grimgast Reapers, and that's going to be my objective. And even if he swings the objectives out the other direction, right? That's that. So we talk out our battle tactics and grand strategies. He didn't have much left that he could achieve, but so I end with another full points major victory. Perfect. My yep. game five was against Cameron and his Zinch army. Ugh. Which is beautiful, by the way. His, oh, yes. his army is absolutely oh, yes. gorgeous. Yeah, paint job was exceptional. And he had Kairos, of course. He had a Cursling. He had a Gaunt Summoner on a disc. And he had a little teeny tiny warband. At least the models were really teeny tiny. Is it F? Ephilim, the unknowable, I think it was. He had a unit of 10 pinks, two units of Karak Acolytes. He had Tome of Eyes, Simulacrum, and the Umbral Spell Portal, which it was like, oh yeah, I know where that's going. <laughs> anyway, 
could be anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot. How could I forget them? And then he had a unit of Zangor Enlightened, and he had a unit of Enlightened on Disc. Duh. That was nasty. Anyway, the one thing I learned very quickly was on turns 1, 3, and 5, he had Auto Unbinds. Yep. They're real good. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm thinking, what am I going to do here? Because i got to get some spells off, man. i got to get that Spite Swarm Hive off. I've got to get that Ward Aura off. So I had to make some choices. I wanted to try to get some trees out there. It was actually a very close game. I moved up my hunters on the on my left side. Dorothy was kind of hanging back so he could teleport a little bit. And then I had my 10 dryads on the right-hand side. And my tree revs, of course, were doing tree rev stuff, jumping around. But I ended up moving them both over to the right-hand side to help with that objective because we ended up at first we were on the two that were closest to you know our sides of the board but then we ended up switching to the side ones so we were kind of fighting over those side objectives and really again it was back and forth really really close he killed Durthu he literally shot his entire freaking army at Durthu he shot three spells from Kairos at that they all mortal wound ones he still didn't kill him. So then he shot all his horrors into them. And then he shot, I don't know, it was something else they could shoot that shot into Durthu and finally killed him. But it was like his whole army, man. It's like, okay, that's fine. And then he made the mistake of moving his enlightened into my Kurnoth hunters. <laughs> that didn't work out so well. Because he killed three of them. Because he, he smacked right into them, right? Yeah, but, they're real good. But... Those hunters punch back, man. I killed almost all of his enlightened because, again, I got a model back and then I got another model back and it was just beating each other up. And we ended up, he won the game, but it was like 14 to 12. So it was super close. I got four of my tactics. I got my grand strat and I was killing wizards. That's another thing that was really helpful was he had teleported one of his chaos sorcerers to the back of, you know, kind of my area and my war song was like sitting right there and it's like okay i am going to take this thing out so i moved over and killed that wizard and i got my extra point for that but again it was very very close and we called it oh man it just so much magic <laughs> it's yeah that's a very tough list to deal with um, and if you haven't seen it before well and the cursling was just stealing spells you know do 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 anyway good game he was Great opponent. We had a really good time talking through stuff and really, really good experience playing against him. I'd love to play him again. It was very good. Good. So I was two and three at that point. Lost all three of my final games and you were four and one. Yep. I was four and one. And as we were packing up, I was just kind of doing the math in my head because I knew the other player that was in contention for best death was Kyle. Mm -hmm. and he ended up taking a major loss and I was like, okay, you know, I I was like, I'm going to get best death. And I was like, well, hold on a second. I was like, the 5-0 and o Raymonds, I estimated, you know, because like paint was out of like 40, something like that. Mm -hmm. I estimated that he had gotten somewhere between a 25 and a 30. I was a 38 or a 39 or something like yeah. that. I was like, okay. It's like, I've got a pretty good differential to him. I was like, I might be able to jump him. And Isaiah was on four and a half points. Yeah, of course. I was like, oh, that's going to be battle tactics and grand strategies. And yeah. I was like, I don't know. And so the way that Domus announces awards is he calls everybody up who's won an award. Mm -hmm. Kyle's up. And so like you can't duplicate win a fair number of things. Mm -hmm. So Kyle gets called up and I was like, okay, that's a little weird. I should have him beat. 
I get called up and I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe Kyle won a painting award. Like his army made, you know, top cut. And they call Isaiah up, like, okay. And then Raymond, the guy who went 5-0, and didn't get called up. And I was like, I won. I was like, don't get too excited. You, like, Kyle might have won. And I was like, yeah. I just don't see how. Like, the, the points in my head aren't adding up. But there's no one else up there who's a chaos player who's kind of in that bracket because Isaiah was mm-hmm. playing a Skaven. And, you know, it comes around to awards. Kyle wins best death. And I go, oh, I... <laughs> Like, if someone had a camera trained on me as his name got announced, that's when it dawned on me. I was like, oh, I won. I ended up taking best overall. I was tied with Isaiah on points. So great. The first tiebreaker is your etiquette points. So, you know, Mm -hmm. your on-table stuff. And uh, turning your list in on time. Isaiah made a modification after the deadline, which cost him five points, which ultimately cost him tournaments. Because I had the full etiquette points and he was missing five. Yep. Kind of a weird technicality to take an event on. But it's but. cool because all those things count then. Yeah. And it makes anybody feel like they've got a chance, you know, to win stuff. Exactly. You know, what was particularly special about that is Brad had never lost. Well, he had won all of his games at all prior meltdowns before. Mm. Isaiah had handed him a draw round two. So Brad was coming into our game was still able to boast, I've never lost at this event. <laughs> and... I was able to uh, take something. his first loss off him, which ultimately ended up winning me the tournament. So Excellent. The other bit about that is, right, if I hadn't gotten all of the battle tactics and grand strategies that I had gotten throughout the tournament, I would not have been in a position to tie Isaiah. And if I had gotten that one battle tactic, right, mm. in game four, that yeah. would have won me the tournament by one point instead of it being a tie <laughs> sure. broken on turn your paperwork in on time but yeah, yeah i would have gotten a different draw into round five i probably would end up playing kyle i think kyle's list plays better into my list than it does than mine does into his so right you know it's the mm. on the wings of butterflies kind of situation so sure. um, you know got some hardware i would have liked to have won meltdown for a very long time it's funny that this is the year i win it in the year that i've done the least amount of preparation and <laughs> place the least amount of effort into into all of it so fair Bad there's a example. lesson in there somewhere I'm, I'm not sure what my result was actually much better than i had expected you'd sent me a screen with the final points and placings and stuff and when i looked at that i'm like there is no way because it just raw battle scores or something. It was like right in the middle because there were 58 or 60 players. And I was like right at 28, 30, something like that. Then when you sent me this list, I was tied four-way tie for 16th with three all three of the guys I think you said were from Detroit, right? I think that I was tied with. And I'm going, wow, that just made me feel so... That's the best I've ever done in a tournament, Brendan. Yep. Being that high, you know, up. And it was, you know, 38 out of 40 for the paint. It was... 21 what 21 out of 25 tactics i had all five of my grand strats i've never done that before i've never i don't think ever gotten that many tactics you know at two and three i was expecting to be in the middle or a little bit below that it was fine and then when i realized all those other soft scores that you're talking about had added up it really really paid off Uh, and to be in a tie with those kind of players was also a really good feeling you know in terms of overall placing it just made me feel so good about the choices i had made about the recommendations that i'd implemented that friends you know you and Tyler and a couple other people had suggested to me that I'd actually put into the list. And I'm just really, really happy that 
I've chosen to stick with the Sylvaneth and I've been willing to be flexible in terms of the list I build. You know, because even from Rubicon, this list is significantly different from the list I took just a few months ago. It was really a good feeling. It was very satisfying. And even not winning any awards or anything, just placing at that position was so, so cool. And really, that's right where you belonged in terms of, like, if it was just scored just off a of battle, right, Dan? Mm -hmm. There were only 20 players that scored higher than you did on battle, even at two and three, which you and I talked about a little bit as, you know, you know, round five ended and winding down. You know, mm -hmm. you were kind of telling me about what had happened and you were telling me about all the battle tactics and grand strategies that you were scoring. And yeah, you know, you got pretty much all of them and, you know, some of the game just didn't break your way. Well, I, I think it shows, right, that when you do those things, the rest is going to come along with it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it might not have shown up at this event, but when you continue to practice, you continue to play and you show up yes. to Dragonfall and you execute at that same level, maybe a couple of those games break differently. And, you know, you're three and one going into game five and you're going... Mm -hmm cool, I've got the winning record, like, can I take this game by the horns and go 4-1 and, and put myself in award territory? Like, those are the basic things, right, that put you in that position. It's scoring your tactics, scoring your strategy, holding objectives, right? It's, it's not some magical formula. Like, it's, at the end of the day, really, really, really simple. <laughs> sure. It's just executing on those simple things. That's the yeah. key. And not making silly mistakes, learning from the mistakes you've made. And the OBR list that I played, and then, you know, Jake, at the end of our game, he was, again, I was telling him about our game with Kyle, and he was like, oh, well, this is what you should at least try against OBR. He was like, oh, okay, you know what? The next time I play an OBR list, I'm going to give that a try. What's the worst that can happen is I could lose the game. Yeah. But if I try to do those things that they had talked about, it was like, yeah, maybe I can win that game, or at least come a lot closer and get a lot more battle points. Like, ultimately, the reason that I won the tournament was I forced my game four into a minor. Mm. If I take a major loss there, I don't have enough points, and it becomes a real close situation between me and Kyle in terms okay. of who's taking home best death at that moment in time. Mm. And, you know, looking at the spread, it would be him. Mm -hmm. Every point counts. Yeah. Very satisfying weekend. And as you said, it was just so great to see everybody. That's just the best part of any of these things. Just a great, great weekend. Okay, man. I think that's it for Meltdown then. Let us move on, as we always do, to Scriptorium. Etc. 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 Okay, Scriptorium time. We have a few new releases. Very cool. First book we have is Hunt for Valdorius. Valdorius is a demon prince. And this is a very cool novel because it is Raven Guard and White Scars hunting this demon prince, which is very cool. It's a relatively new uh, narrator that I had not heard of until recently. His name is Shogo Miyakita, and he did a great job. Talk about re-listening to Scars uh, later on. He had uh, narrated that as well. Did a very nice job. Lots of good voice inflections and stuff. Very, very nice. But this is a really, really cool story. It's been out for quite a while, and they just made it into an audiobook. I would certainly recommend it if you're 40K fans. And this is 40K White Scars, so you have a chapter master. Khan isn't around, that kind of thing. So very cool. Caiaphas Kane is getting an anthology, which has like a dozen stories in it, which is always cool. And then he gets a new novel. I think this is number 11, 10 or 11. It's called Vainglorious, so that's going to be a listen 
for us probably as we're driving around because Cindy loves listening to Guy Fiskane with me. Um, <laughs> we have Longshot, which is another guard book. It's about a sniper sergeant, and it appears she has a decision to make, which is essentially to remain loyal to the Imperium or possibly to go over and work as a mercenary for the Tau. So might be kind of cool. Then we okay. have The Emperor's Gift, which is a really, really cool Grey Knights story. It really, if you want to know something about the Grey Knights, this is a great novel to give a reader listen. It goes into a lot of depth about the creation of Grey Knights and a little bit of their history and other things. So very, very cool. And then the next Gotrek and Felix book in the old world called Manslayer. So that is that as well. There you go. That is all the new stuff, but it's quite a bit for one go. What have you been up to, bud? I've been listening to a podcast. I've mentioned it before called Conflicted. You know, they were doing a series on, on the first Gulf War. Oh, yeah. I was just scrolling through their archives, and they had a six-part series on the partition of India. I don't know why I decided I was going to listen to that, but I did. It's, you know, like, it's about nine hours. They get into a lot of detail of, you know, what happened and who and why and how, and, and it was real interesting. And then I've also started an audiobook a biography of Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, cool. Very cool. So, right, two listens where I was just like, yeah, sure, why not? Spend Very some cool. time on this. Something different, so, uh, that's great. Yeah, so that's what I've been listening to. I haven't gotten out to see Oppenheimer yet. Oh. I'm really pushing Katie to see that this weekend. So, great. You know, before it goes out of theater and we have to you know, wait however <laughs> long before it finds its way to, you know, Max or Netflix or, or somewhere, whatever. Prime right? or whatever, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what I got. I finished reading a novella that Dave had given me. It is a prequel to The Siege of Terror. It's called Spear of Ultramar, and it's basically Ultramarines versus Iron Warriors. Very cool. Oh my gosh, man. You're on the edge of your seat, like two-thirds of the book. <laughs> it was so well written. And really short. It's only like 150 pages or something. So thanks, Dave, for that. It was a very, very good read. I am still reading Tao, the Backup Catcher. And it's just so fascinating, Brendan, that this position is so unknown to people. They just don't understand what the how unique they are in professional baseball compared to all the other positions. It's just yeah. so cool. Uh, and to you know, kind of listen through and follow the story of some of these different guys and what they do and how they move around. They're like nomads. It's insane. And the one thing that makes the difference is how they hit. If their batting average drops below a certain number, they could pretty much count on being traded or dropped and they're gone. And so the one guy who is kind of a co-author here talks about that was the one thing he always had to work on or try to, and he never got his numbers high enough that he wasn't in jeopardy. And you think like catchers, you know, they catch. Well, no, if, if they don't hit well enough, then they're backup catchers. And anyway, very cool story. Then I finished listening to Cypher, and man, it is such a fantastic listen. If you're into the lore at all, and this is right around the time that Gilliman came back, and the voice acting was so good. Like, you expect Cypher to sound like he sounded in this audiobook. Like, just cryptic and kind of spooky sounding. And he never got upset about anything. Even when he was getting his face shot off, he was just, like, cool and calm. And there's so many different aspects to this. You've got 
dark angels hunting dark angels. You've got assassins. You've got custodians. You've got all this stuff just blended into one story and um, very, very cool. So I would really recommend that to people. And it was pretty short listen too. Wasn't that big a deal. I am listening to Shadow of the Eighth and Fear to Tread. So Shadow of the Eighth is a book I've talked about before with my buddy Minka Lensk, who is now a captain in the Cadians. And she was one of the survivors of the um, destruction of Cadia, but very cool character. And this book, for people who haven't read before her stuff, it's pretty slow for the first half of the book, and then it starts picking up. So don't expect this to be super action-packed guard kind of thing, but it's a very, very cool story. And then Fear to Tread, I'm listening to again, which is the heresy book about the blood angels, essentially, and Sanguinius and Horus's just horrible, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> Which is bad. And I'm listening to that because it's going to be the next book Doug and I are going to talk about. And just so everybody knows, we just finished recording Scars in the Emperor Protects uh, podcast that he and I do. And so it has been posted. I checked before recording. So if you're interested in White Scars, give that a listen. And then Fear to Tread's the next one. So we're going to cover Blood Angels there. And then I did see Oppenheimer. And I really, really enjoyed it. As a science teacher, I enjoyed all the scientists that I've mentioned to my students. All of a sudden, they're on the screen participating in this story. It's like, oh my God, Niles Bohr. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. And it was very, very well done. I really liked the politics that was drawn into it. This committee that he ended up I'm not giving anything away here, but there's this committee that he interacts with. Let's put it that way. Robert Downey Jr. just has an exceptional role in this thing. Two things that I do want to comment. One, I was really happy about how they covered him after the bomb was dropped and after the war. There was a thing that continues, and it's really nice that they included that because I think it's really important to capture that in terms of his experience with all of this, since he is you know, the American Prometheus, um, they mentioned that. The one small critique, and it's very minor that I have, is I wished they had provided some context in terms of describing to people what would have happened if the bombs hadn't been dropped. Because they really put a lot of stress in the movie about how much destruction there was, and, and they should, you know, how much destruction there was when these bombs were dropped on Japan and how many casualties and how horrible it all was. But, you know, one of those kind of post-movie little screens where they show some kind of piece of information, like to talk about, you know, if the bombs had not been dropped, it was estimated that like half a million American soldiers would have died and like five million Japanese would have been killed. You know, that's really, I think, important to put it in perspective. And I think that just would have been helpful in terms of the story. But overall, a really, really good movie experience. That's it for me, buddy. Okay. Moving on, man. We haven't done this in forever. Or it feels uh, like you that. and I haven't, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we're on to this or that. What are we doing? I'm going to have you start. Okay. I'm going to kind of jump around between different things. I'm going to start off with a non-Sigmar question. If you were going to start a new hobby, bring a new hobby, would you okay. start a hobby of photography or painting? Probably painting. It's a skill that I really have a lot of respect for in creating, like looking at a completely blank space and putting something there. Mm -hmm. I think that's super, super cool. I usually need the skeletons to build the body off of. So I think it's something that would really push me very, very hard. Okay. All right. So 
If you had a sixth game at Meltdown, would you have preferred a Seraphon or an OBR opponent? Depends on the kind of list. The Seraphon lists that are winning a lot right now do a lot of mortal wounds. And that's not something that I really have the ability to deal with very well. At least with an OBR list, I've got a puncher's chance. Mm. So Okay. In baseball right now, there are two teams in the National League that are just killing it. So it's the Braves and the Dodgers. By the end of September, when this is all over, sort of, and we're going into the playoffs, who do you think is going to come out on top, Braves or Dodgers? The Dodgers. At okay. some point, that kind of payroll just continues to pay off. Okay, so we're saying Dodgers now. Okay. I may ask a similar question in a couple months. So Let's say you could choose a second army, not just another list like they do at NashCon, mm-hmm. that you could have had to play with. Would you play with a corn army or a seraphon army? A seraphon army paired with that bone reaper army. I don't think there's anybody that beats me. Okay. So seraphon, hands down. Yeah. Then the last question is, in your indeterminate location that you're now living, would you say that based on you know the little you know of what's around you, do you think there's going to be a better pizza places or better pub food places that you could go to i'm gonna guess pub food places okay just because you know like obviously wisconsin right you know the really old quote unquote is relative in the united states this is an older part of the u.s Mm -hmm. like there are going to be some pub-based establishments that have been around for a very long time probably Mm -hmm. for a very good reason cool well that's my five man I'm going to go and show order Okay. my questions. Okay. So what was your favorite part of having Dave be the co-host? I think he just has some really insightful comments sometimes that you're not expecting from him, which is really cool. Like out of nowhere, he'll make some like, what? What did you just say? I'm thinking that to myself as he's talking mm-hmm. and I react to it, but it's really cool to get that from him. The other piece I really like is the questions he asks in this or that. Just really cool and interesting questions. I think part of it is that, you know, he doesn't ask us questions, so we don't get that that often. But we just did the corn book, and he did some really fun stuff with that. And then, you know, the questions he asked as well. So, yeah, I think those are a couple things I really enjoy. Okay. Obviously, you announced that you were gotten rid of your night haunt in exchange for corn. Mm. Mm -hmm. Was there an army that was a close second to corn? And if so, what was it? No. There was not. And again, I thought about a lot of different lists I would like to play, armies I would like to look at. And corn just, I don't know, the rules, the models combined, the things you can do with it, the potential for it to do some fun stuff. Okay. Very cool. At Meltdown, over the course of the weekend, if you had to award an MVP to which unit, what would it be? Because for me, it's easy, right? Chaos is the unit that wins yeah. the game. Everything else spins off of him. I would uh, say that it would have been Lady of Vines. I okay. think in three of my games at least, that extra unit of 10 Dryads being able to drop anywhere was really, really useful in a lot of ways. Either to drop a screen somewhere or to redirect an opponent because they couldn't ignore them, that kind of thing. But then that five-up ward aura was just so invaluable, Brendan. It saved my army. <laughs> Yeah. A couple of times. Yeah. So I would say she was my MVP with the Archrev being a, a close second with what she did to 
the cross and buffing them. What was your favorite game? Not necessarily your favorite opponent, but what was your favorite game from Meltdown? I think it was my game against Patrick and his 50 pigs, just because of the way I felt when I first saw him put his army on the board to the conclusion of the game. And just our interactions during the game were really positive. It just was a fun experience to play him, even though we were just beating the heck out of each other. It was really fun. You know, when things turned or when at first he was really pushing me, we were still laughing and having a good time. When I was pushing him back, he was laughing and having a good time. So I think that was, yeah, as much as I enjoyed every game, I really did. Because it was great to play Tanya again. I think Vault Wars was the last time she and I had played. We grudged there. And that was forever ago. My last question, right? I think this will might be maybe the last show before, you know, that gets posted before college football kicks mm-hmm. off. Yeah. Obviously, everyone knows you're a Navy fan. Navy head coach change after, gosh, over a decade. It was like 15 years, I think, he was there. Long time. What are your expectations for Navy this year? I would say that they had the potential to go 6-5. and I don't think they're going to do any better than that. Just with a new coach, they got issues deciding who their quarterback's going to be. In fact, I think the coach has announced that they're going to play two quarterbacks during their Notre Dame game, which is their season opener. I just think they're going to try to find their place. And I don't know with the new coach. You know, he's certainly got experience with the triple option. I think the other piece of this, Brendan, is that you look at some of the changes the other service academies are making. Navy's the only one staying with the triple option. And I think with the rules changes this year, I think it's a mistake that they're saying with the option. Yes, a lot of it has to do also with, you know, the rules in terms of blocking. Blocking is a major issue for them. They already had one nerf with one of the rules that was changed. Now, this is going to make it even more challenging for them. But I'll also be excited to see how they work through it because I think they will, you know, and I'm going to be optimistic and say six and five. Well, they played 12 games, so... Uh, oh, see, I don't count the 6-6 um, six and six because I don't really want to count. That's why I said 6-5. and five. I don't really want to count the Notre Dame game just because it's so weird. It's out of the country, and it's just strange. It still counts. It still counts. Yeah. I know it does. But this is kind of like a weird exhibition game for me <laughs> when I look at their season. So we'll say 6-6. Six and six. Okay. Yep. Those are my five. Okay, buddy. Let's move on and close this puppy out. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Sunday announcements, bud. What do we got? Not a lot for <laughs> us, right? You know, we're <laughs> desperately waiting on the Cities of Sigmar box to come out. And yeah. you know what for us? All quiet. Yeah, it's not quite that. That's okay. Because instead, we are getting a whole lot of 40K. You got a Space Marines Vanguard box. Hmm. Captains and Lieutenants. Chaos Space Marines. New annual kill team yeah beast men in space actually <laughs> looks super cool there's definitely a couple of these that are very much age of sigmar and some more kill team teams i think there's like four of them for horus heresy there's an imperial fist praetor and tardros terminator armor mm, mm-hmm. uh, warhawk and softback uh, a map of mm-hmm. the uh, imperial palace for those of you who like maps Okay. That's it. All right. For the Age of Sigmar people. No joy. No Age of Sigmar, Cities of Sigmar book quite yet. Okay. Soon, but not yet. Yeah. Okay. Any Q&A for you? No, because uh, you have two. We have a bunch. 
that we got while we were at Meltdown yeah. that we'll, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll be get using to periodically. Yeah, that was fun at, in the evening when they started asking questions. So I have two questions from a listener. His name is Everett. He's from Scandinavia. He listens to us from there. And his first question was, if there was somebody I could have played that I wasn't able to, who would it have been? That's really difficult because there are probably half a dozen at least people that I would have liked to have played. But I would say that a rematch with Travis and his Corn Army would have been really cool because I played him in game two at Rubicon and he brought another kind of mixed Corn Army. And I think I was probably a little more ready for him this time than I was last time. Uh, that would have been really cool. And the second question of the four regiments of renown that we talked about on the last episode, which one do I think I would play? Which one would I use? And I think I kind of answered that in hobby when I talked about it, but I think that Shutterhood with the Nurgle guys would be useful with a corn army. I think they would add an anvil. Corn is everything, you know, just push all your models forward. Uh, and this would give you a chance to maybe grab and hold an objective for quite a long time considering the math on trying to get rid of all of those wounds that those Blight Kings and uh, Blight Lords bring with a 5 ward would be pretty cool. Yeah, it would be the Shutterhood. Episode 128, buddy. We got, uh, not sure, to be determined. Yeah, yeah. figure it out. Yeah, we will do that as we always do. And otherwise, it's good to have you back. It's great to see you on the screen. All good stuff. Hey, Brendan. Hey. <laughs> Silliness. All right, man. So thanks again for coming yeah. on board and getting us through this. You know, congratulations on your win at Meltdown. That's oh, something you'd you. wanted for a while, and I'm glad you were able to achieve that. That's so great. And as always, listeners, thank you for joining us, and we hope you stay safe, stay healthy, and don't forget shenanigans because life is better when you are up to something. This is